Hello, hello. You're listening to Andy's Book Club. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show where we go through an exciting book chapter by chapter on a weekly schedule. Every week, I provide a recap of the chapter we're covering, and I add my commentary as we go along. If something requires more explanation, I might reserve some time at the end of the show and discuss it in more detail. So, whether you're studying for a test, writing an essay, or if you're like me, you're just super passionate about reading, this show is perfect for you. As a reminder, this show is available on YouTube, Spotify, and a whole bunch of other platforms. And if you're watching this on YouTube, the links for all those other platforms are down below in the description. Or if you prefer, you can simply just search for Andy's Book Club directly on your favorite platform. But wherever you might be listening from, if you like the show, be sure to follow and subscribe. This show also has a Twitter page, so if I need to post visuals, I will do so on Twitter. So be sure to follow me there. Last week we covered many of the successes and failures of Jaharis so far. He has definitely way more successes than he does failures, and things are going well for him. This week we'll continue to discuss the many challenges that would come his way. In 59 AC, a batter ship sailed to the port of Old Town. It was the Lady Meredith, and from the ship emerged Sir Eustace Hightower, the grandson of Lord Donald Hightower. The Lady Meredith was one of the ships that had set sail with the Sun Chaser, captained by Elisa Farman, aka Alice Westhill, who set sail on the open ocean to explore what was west of Westeros. Now, only a small handful of the original crew that had sailed with Sir Eustace had survived. Eustace himself was gaunt and badly sunburned. On his face were lines that had not been there when he had left Old Town. In his injured and malnourished state. Eustace told his story. The Lady Meredith was among one of three ships that had set sail to explore the West. The other two were the Sun Chaser, well, one of them, of course, and the other, a Bravo Z ship called the Autumn Moon. The first twelve days of the voyage had gone smoothly. As far as any of the crew of the ships were aware, they had sailed further west than any ship from Westeros had ever sailed before, and have, of course, lived to tell the tale. As the crew celebrated with wine, nobody dared to mention how they had not seen a single bird for the past four days. This probably meant that they were too far from any land for birds to exist, since even birds cannot find places to land if they were out this far. It was then that the fortunes turned; the winds completely stopped, so the boats slowed down to a crawl. Some caskets of supplies on the Autumn Moon was also discovered to be spoiled by maggots. When the wind did return, it came in a storm. The autumn moon was destroyed, and many lives were lost. The storm blew the remaining two ships to a set of three small islands. These three small islands, Alice Westhill, aka Elisa Farman, named Rainies, Aegon, and Vizenia, after the conqueror and his two sister wives. The islands were deserted, and they contained fruits and spices that the Westerosi have never seen before. And Sir Eustace declared that there was no need to go any further. To Alice Westhill, however, these discoveries were not enough. The largest of these three islands were but a third the size of Dragonstone. She wanted to find another Essos out west. However, the Lady Meredith was in bad shape, having been damaged in the storm, and his crew was too low on morale to continue. So, despite her best efforts at convincing Eustace to continue the voyage, he would not budge. So that's where the Lady Meredith and the Sun Chaser parted ways. 
The journey home for Lady Meredith would prove just as perilous, with the ship having been damaged and forced to land on the continent of Sothorios, which is a huge unexplored continent that's to the south of both Westeros and Essos. The crew spent a year there, repairing the Lady Meredith. During that time, many of the crew died of disease or venomous animal attacks. There's a reason why the continent of Sothorios was largely unexplored. The lands were extremely hostile. It is said that while there, Sir Eustace and his crew was attacked by monkeys that walk like men, wyverns which look like dragons but did not breathe fire, and a hundred different types of snakes. And they would have all perished too if not for the help of some summer islanders who knew the area well and were able to help them repair the ship, uh, which is how Eustace was able to survive and make his way back to Old Town to tell his tale. The Sun Chaser disappeared into the West to a notion that seemingly goes on forever and was never seen again. Except, rewind to 53 AC before Alice's voyage west, a boy on the island of Driftmark to House Valerion was born, named Corliss Valerion. Yes, this is the same Corliss from the show House of the Dragon. Uh, Corliss would be known for his voyages to explore Essos, as well as for his involvement in the Dance of Dragons later on in his life. It is said that during one of Corliss's voyages, he had made his way all the way east to a city called Ashai by the Shadows, a mysterious city full of dark magic and necromancers. In Ashai, Corliss saw a beaten and battered ship, which he swore was a sun chaser. Perhaps Alice Westdale had indeed circumnavigated the entire world and ended up in the easternmost edge of the known world by sailing west. We'll never know what truly happened, however, all this would come later, since by 59 AC, Corliss was still a boy of six. In 59 to 60 AC, winter had come to Westeros. The north, being cold and unforgiving to begin with, was hit especially hard by an unusually cold winter. Many of the common folk were forced to practice the age-old tradition of the elderly walking into the wilderness and voluntarily freezing to death, so that the young can have a chance to survive without having to take care of them. Across Westeros, food prices rose as harvests failed, and a disease called the Shivers swept across the land. The symptoms of the Shivers went as follows. First, the victim would feel a simple cold. Then, as the disease progresses, the Shivers would begin and no amount of hot soup or blankets would quell the cold. Then, the victim's lips would begin to turn blue and they would begin to cough up blood. And after that, the end would be near and there would be no saving that person. Uh, it had a high mortality rate, no more than 1 in 5 infected would survive, so higher than 80% mortality rate. Many notable lords and ladies would be taken by the Shivers, including Lord Celtigar, who had once been Jaehaerys' master of coin, Lord Staunton of Rook's Rest along with his wife, the second son and three daughters of Daemon Valerion, former Hand of the King and Jaehaerys' uncle, uh, Lord Prentice Tully of Riverrun and his wife, Lord Lyman Lannister, who had played such a pivotal role in protecting Reyna during the reign of Maegor, uh, met his end during uh, the Shivers pandemic. Lord Donald the Delayer of Hightower, the Lord of Old Town, could not delay his death, and also met his end due to the Shivers. Grand Maester Benefer, who had served House Targaryen dutifully for decades now, met his end as well due to the Shivers. Many other lords and ladies were also taken by the Shivers, but I won't mention them all because that will take way too long, and uh, I hope I've already gotten the point across as to how absolutely devastating this was for Westeros. 
many of the ruling class was simply just clean housed out of the way by this disease. The commander of the city watch had also been one of the victims of the shivers, and with the city watch leaderless and disarray, and with poverty at all-time highs, the crime rate in King's Landing skyrocketed. Regal Dress, the Pentoshi man who Jaharis named Master of Coin, also met his end in 59 AC, but not due to the shivers. He had grown quite fat over the years, and chose not to ride horses but instead be carried in an ornate palanquin. If you don't know what a palanquin is, it's one of those like mini house things that servants would carry you over their shoulders while you chillaxed inside. Uh, so while making his way through King's Landing one day, Draz's palanquin made his way through Flea Bottom, which is the most ghetto part of King's Landing. Uh, so it's where the most impoverished people are. Uh, the people of Flea Bottom, the bottom of society, uh, were all no doubt completely penniless and destitute. Uh, they decided to rob Draz when the sight of his palanquin came near. Recall that Regal Draz was already hated by the people even before this current food shortage and pandemic. So a mob formed and tipped over his palanquin and beat him to death with a rock. And they of course looted his body afterwards. And that was the fate of the Lord of Air. What's most devastating however came as 59 AC drew to a close and 60 AC dawned. One night, the princess Daenerys, eldest child of Jaehaerys and Alysanne, woke her mother Alysanne in the middle of the night. She complained that she was cold. A day and a half later, Daenerys was dead. It was said that Targaryens did not get sick, but this was not entirely true, however. Uh, what does seem to be true was that Targaryens who were bonded to dragons did not get sick. Uh, there seemed to be some sort of magic in play when a Targaryen gets bonded to a dragon that makes them immune to most diseases. Unfortunately for Daenerys, it was too late. Uh, this was absolutely devastating for Jaehaerys and Alysanne, and Jaehaerys asked Septon Barth why the gods would be so cruel to take the life of his daughter who was only six at the time. Uh, to this, Barth had no answer. But life goes on, and when the gods take with one hand, they give with the other. In late 60 AC, Alysanne would give birth to another daughter who she named Alyssa, after her late mother. In 61 AC, an old friend returned to King's Landing. It was Lord Rogar Baratheon. Now an old man, his hair had turned gray. Accompanying him was his daughter Jocelyn and his son Boromund, who if you recall are Jaehaerys and Alysanne's half-siblings born of their mother Alyssa. Rogar had come to leave the children in the care of Jaehaerys while he committed to one last quest. Apparently, Rogar's brother Boris had been extremely upset at the news of the birth of Rogar's son Boromund, since the seat of Storm's End would now pass uh, to Boromund instead of to him. So Boris had left the Stormlands to pursue action and battle in Myr and Volantis, and now he was back in Westeros, stirring up rebellion with another Vulture King. Uh, recall that Aegon the Conqueror and his half-brother Oris Baratheon, who is Rogar's grandfather, uh, had put down the original Vulture King in Dorne during one of the many conflicts between uh, Dorne and the Iron Throne. And now there was another Vulture King and Rogar's brother Boris had betrayed the family and his king and is working with this new Vulture King. The Maesters had told Rogar that he was nearing the end of his life anyways, and if there was one last thing that he wants to do, it's to put down his traitor brother and this new Vulture King, and if he could die in battle, that would be great too. Uh, so Jaehaerys gave him permission to go on another campaign. 
And this campaign, Jaehaerys himself would assist Rogar, uh, flying on top of Vermathor while Rogar led 500 men into the mountains of Dorne to hunt down his brother and the new Vulture King. Eventually, Rogar and Jaehaerys cornered Boris. Rogar was about to have a final fight with his brother, but Jaehaerys stopped him. Recall that kinslaying, the act of killing a member of your own family, was considered one of the cardinal sins of Westeros. Even in situations like this, when your brother has gone off the rails and is leading a rebellion against your king, even in this scenario, uh, where you can argue that it's justified, it's still kinslaying. Uh, so Jaehaerys drew Blackfire and went toe-to-toe with Boris in single combat. Safe to say that Jaehaerys won, or else the story would be over right here. As for the Vulture King though, Rogar managed to corner him eventually and made short work of him with his axe. He did not get his wish of dying in battle with an axe in his hand. Even in his advanced age, his opponents were unworthy of him in terms of fighting skills. Rogar returned to Storm's End after this last campaign and would die half a year later, in his bed surrounded by maesters instead of on the battlefield. In 62 AC, Jaehaerys officially named his eldest son Aemon Targaryen, now age 7, as the Prince of Dragonstone. Recall that this is the title given to the heir apparent. Later that year, Alysanne would give birth again to another daughter, who she named Maegel. It was 62 AC that Jaehaerys looked for the next big project to take on. He noticed that although Alysanne and him can fly around on dragons uh, around Westeros, this was not a luxury that everyone else had, and everywhere they went, they saw towns and farms, but no roads connecting any of them. And thus, the next big project was to build roads. Thus was the beginning of the King's Road, which connected King's Landing north all the way to the Wall. The Rose Road, which connected King's Landing to Old Town, going through the Reach, uh, and there was some others like the Ocean Road and the Gold Road. Note that crude roads did already exist, but the conditions of the roads were extremely poor up until this point, uh, so Jaehaerys would be known as the one to fix them once and for all. As the years went on, the Targaryens would be blessed with more children. Alysanne would give birth to Vagon, their fourth son and seventh child, in 63 AC. In 64 AC came a daughter named Daella. In 67 AC came another daughter named Sarah. In 71 AC came another daughter named Vizera. Now Jaehaerys and Alysanne had 10 children, 4 sons and 6 daughters. Some of the children of Jaehaerys and Alysanne would prove to be difficult to handle for even the king and queen of the Seven Kingdoms uh, later on in life, uh, but this was yet to come. In the meantime, in 70 AC, Aemon Targaryen, the Prince of Dragonstone, and Jocelyn Baratheon were married. As with Targaryen's tradition, this was an incestuous marriage to keep the bloodline pure. Technically, they were aunt and nephew because Jocelyn is the half-sister of Jaehaerys and Alysanne. If that's gross to you, yeah, maybe, but just don't think about it too hard. In 72 AC, Balon, the second son of Jaehaerys, claimed Vagar as his dragon. Uh, Vagar had been unwritten since the death of the great warrior queen Visenya, who would be Balon's great-grandmother. In 73 AC, Queen Alysanne would give birth yet again to her 11th child, a boy named Gaemon. However, tragedy struck when Gaemon died just three months after his birth. Although this isn't the first time that Alysanne has lost a child, it never gets any easier, and the death of her son hit Alysanne hard. In 74 AC, it would be someone else's turn to add a new member to the Targaryen family. 
The king and queen would welcome their first grandchild from Amon and Jocelyn, a daughter they named Rhaenys. For watchers of the show House of the Dragon, this is the Rhaenys in the show, aka the queen who never was, and we'll find out why exactly she is called that in a later episode. Meanwhile, it was Jaehaerys' second son, Balon's turn to get married, and his choice of bride? Uh, well, if you know anything about Targaryens by now, it should come as no surprise. He married his sister, Alyssa. Uh, this was a good match, though. Uh, let's just say that Balon and Alyssa had always been close. And after her marriage, Alyssa had also claimed the red dragon Maelys, uh, which was said to be faster and more nimble than Vhagar. In 77 AC, Alyssa would give birth to a boy named Viserys. This is our boy Vizzy T from the show House of the Dragon, and one day he would become Westeros' favorite dad. But for now, he was just a baby. Uh, it was said that Viserys was a happy and agreeable child, and against the wishes of the maesters, Alyssa would take him flying on Maelys, strapped to her chest, when he was just 9 days old. Also in 77 AC, Queen Alysanne was pregnant again, and in 78 AC, she would give birth to a boy named Valerion. However, the boy was small and sickly and died before his first birthday. Each time losing a child, it took a big toll on Alizanne, who was by now 42 years old, and many questioned her ability to give birth to more children, including herself. In 80 AC, Queen Alizanne would give birth to a daughter named Gail. She was by now 44 years old, and the Princess Gail was named the Winter Child, and the official reason for that was that uh, it was winter when Gail was born. Uh, but the rumor was that the name was chosen because Alizanne was in her winter years of her ability to have more kids. In 81 AC, Alyssa and Balon had a second son who they named Daemon, the Spring Prince, and he would be called that when he was born, uh, although later in life he would have another name, the Rogue Prince and you'll have to find out where that name came from. In 82 AC, the Princess Dela was with child. She had married Roderick Aaron, the Lord of the Vale, and during the end of her pregnancy, she had written a letter to her mother, Queen Alizanne, that she was frightened. Dela was only 18 and had a small frame, and her pregnancy was taking a toll on her body, and she was afraid that she was going to be too frail and delicate to handle giving birth. Alysanne, upon receiving the letter, mounted Silverwing and flew to the Vale to see her daughter. Dela would give birth to a daughter named Emma. But tragically, Dela was right to be concerned. Due to complications, she died shortly after giving birth. As always, the loss of a child hit Queen Alysanne hard. But this time, she was also angry. She was angry at Jaehaerys for pushing Dela to get married. She argued that if they had waited for a few more years, before pushing Dela to get married, she would not have gotten pregnant before she was ready, which ultimately led to her death. We now see the first rifts open up between the king and the queen. Although in the beginning of their marriage they were soulmates, later on in their marriage they would begin to have conflicts, just like everyone else. Alright, I think this is a good place to end the show for this week. Next week, we're gonna continue to see the widening rifts between the king and the queen and the many troubles that would come their way as a result of the, you know, shenanigans of their many children. Uh, so we'll leave that for next week, and I'll see you all then. Bye-bye.